set it all on. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 241 of the Boxing Rant Podcast. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? As soon as we get an enjoyable fight, something that, you know, as a boxing fan, you can be like, God damn, that was a good night of boxing. Every fucking fan in the world has to step in with some of the most retarded takes on the state of boxing today. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, man. We'll get into it a little bit later on in the show, but the state of the modern day boxing fan, good God. I mean, just what a what a joke some of these people are. Yeah. I mean, uh, the attention spans of, uh, you know, I think of sports fans in general, um, but just because we're so focused in on boxing, I, dude, it's like a, that of a gnat or an elephant. You know what I mean? Right. It, it has gotten, you know, it's gotten really bad. But uh, yeah, one hell of a fight. Uh, Errol Spence and Sean Porter um, contested for the IBF and WBC welterweight unification on Fox pay-per-view. Anthony Durrell defended his WBC super middleweight title against David Benavidez, uh, John Molina, and others in action on the undercard. Daniel Dubois from London. We got a fight preview. Then it's the return of Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, as he squares off against Sergey. The Revianchenko and a little news and notes. We're going to talk Hall of Fame as the ballots are out. But uh, first and foremost, we'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to episode 241 of the Boxing Rant podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. Check out our videos on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. A uh, new episode of the Daily Rant dropped today. Um, talking about the state of the fanager and the obsession with uh, television uh, affiliations and pay-per-view numbers. Um, we'll talk about a, a little bit of that on the, uh, on the, on the podcast this evening, but uh, check out the video, The Daily Rant, now on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith Jr., and leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate it. All right, Vin, let's get right down to it. This past Saturday night, it was Errol Spence, and Sean Porter, the IBF and WBC welterweight titles on the line. Coming into this fight, then it was uh, a, a pretty generic narrative. Everybody thought that Sean Porter wasn't skilled enough, that he was some, you know, just brawling, you know, brooding bruiser that would, uh, you know, lower his head, come forward, try to muck it up, and Errol Spence's class would prevail. And this would not be much of a of a fight at all. It would probably turn out to be a eight four nine three variety. And uh, boy, could this thing not have to the benefit of of real boxing fans, not the fanagers, because you know they're just worried about the pay per view numbers. But actual boxing fans, um, this turned out to be a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, I mean, the the first thing you got to say watching that fight or coming out of that fight is, wow, you have to have a newfound respect for Sean Porter, right? You may not like his style. It may not appeal to you as a fan. And it really doesn't appeal to me, quite honestly. I, I've Coming into this fight, I'm like, well, if Porter loses and his career doesn't really go any further after this, I'm, you know, it wouldn't really bother me to not watch Sean Porter fight anymore. But I can't say that. I, 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 can't, I can't bring myself to say that anymore after that performance. Like, the guy was possessed. That was 
Sean Porter times five. That was a more aggressive Sean Porter than I think I've ever seen. And I think he knew he had to do that coming into this fight. And and it 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 paid major dividends because guess what? We talked about it in the preview, and so did a lot of people before this fight. This was the toughest competition that Errol Spence had ever faced. And it showed in this fight. And another thing that showed, and, and, and don't get it twisted, a, a, a gutty, gritty performance from Errol Spence, too. Unbelievable body work uh, to be able to keep up that pace for 12 rounds and, and kind of go, go dog for dog with Sean Porter in the ring. I don't know if it's, you know, you heard a lot of people like uh, saying, Errol Spence, he, he chose to fight Sean Porter's fight. He chose to beat him at his own game. Uh, I, I'm not buying that. I, I don't think he had a choice in the matter. Sean Porter was not going to allow that fight to be any other way. There's no way that Errol Spence wanted that fight to go the way that it went. And and one of the things I take away from that is the the where was the adjustment? There was no adjustment. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Spence thought, all right, you want to fight like this? Eventually, I'm going to wear you down. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, it was un- an unbelievable pace, um, you know, ugly at times on the inside. A lot of shots that, you know, was there was it action-packed and was there a ton of punches being thrown? Absolutely. Some of them landing on the arms and the gloves and not landing clean. And sometimes it looked a little sloppy, but you can't take away from either one of those guys in that fight because as a boxing fan you can't ask for anything more than that from a main event you know and especially when you didn't pay 75 bucks for it and you got to watch it it made it it made it worth even more as a boxing fan I, i i just you know i'd love to say something bad about either fighter coming out of that fight but that's one of them performances from both guys where you just gotta you kinda gotta tip your cap and go Hey man, th- those guys left it all in the fucking ring, and as a boxing fan, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, you know, s- speaking to the you know the point that you made about you know there was a lot of you know a lot of talk about like the way that this thing you know ended up going stylistically. Um, I agree with you one hundred percent that Sean Porter like sort of forced the hand on the way this thing went. You know, I look as far as far as it being fight of the year. I don't think it was fight of the year, you know, first and foremost, to me, the, the fight was a little sloppy. Um, it got like the action packed moments in the fight were, were great. And I think they sort of like peaked around the ninth round of the fight. Um, but as far as the styles in this and, and what, what Sean Porter forced Errol Spence to do, I think he put Errol Spence fighting at an angle and I'm talking about his upper body being, you know, sort of arched and slumped forward having to fight at this low really uncomfortable angle that Sean Porter has to fight at because we know that you know Porter's going to bend at the waist you know he's going to put his body at a 45 degree angle with his head down and he's going to launch his punches wide right um and Errol Spence kind of fought that game I mean I was really surprised especially early on with those low blows I think it was just the it's like man the only way I can get to this guy's body is to sort of you know bend over forward with him which was causing any kind of hooks that he wanted to throw. They were going, you know, kind of bouncing off of his lower abdomen. Some of them were clearly low, but down into that crotch region. And I just think it made for the the perspective of the fight, at least the way that I viewed it, was not the way that Errol Spence, I think, wanted to have that fight go. Now, I, I, I do think that, 
you know, he wasn't able to establish the jab because of that. And I think that that's what everybody expected to happen was that, you know, this sort of, um, you know, this, this, this bulldogging come forward junkyard, junkyard dog style that Sean Porter has, um, you know, Hey, Errol Spence is a, is a big, strong welterweight. He'll be able to keep that at bay. There's no way Sean Porter will be able to do that against that jab. I think it nullified the jab. And I think actually where Errol Spence had success in it, and to me it was in the back half of the fight because I thought that Sean Porter, uh, you know, clearly uh, put it all on the line in the first half of the fight. And it may have cost him there at the end getting a little tired. But, um, you know, where, where I did think that, that Spence did a really nice job was there was some really good, accurate, sneaky uh, left check hooks that I thought just caught Porter. And if you weren't really looking for him, um, you know, they were very sneaky and they were very, very quick. You know, one thing that I didn't like about this, and, and this, I think this goes to, I don't know if it's the PBC, uh, that sort of, you know, uh, you know, pandering to, you know, the fanager type fan or whatever. I did not like the punch count being tabulated as the fight was going on because to me the only thing I could think about when I'm watching those numbers go on one it was distracting but two I just kept thinking I was like they are completely misleading people that don't know what they're watching right now like they're assuming that these are points that are being scored you know what I'm saying like punches landed don't mean points scored because as as you and I know there's other categories such as defense effective aggression like it's not just the punches landed clean work is important there wasn't a lot of clean work in this fight. I mean, I, I think Spence landed somewhere around 30% clip, and I think uh, you know Porter landed somewhere in the low 20s. There's a lot of punches thrown in this thing, but I think it was a little too sloppy for fight of the year. That that That's just my opinion. I don't, I don't know if it was top three. I don't know. This was not, if you listen to Dan Raphael, Dan Raphael said that this was an instant classic. That it was not, okay? I can tell you right now, this was not an instant classic. Dan Raphael, since day one, since the first time he ever saw Errol Spence box in an amateur fight has been trumpeting to the world that he was going to be right, that this guy was going to turn out to be a modern day great. And every single time, this is not, takes nothing away from Errol Spence, but every single time that Errol Spence does something to justify all of the praise that, that Dan Raphael has heaped upon him, oh, he's just sitting there wank, you know, wanking his, his dick underneath that fat flap. Um, <laughs> you know, he is just. Chode alert. So, Chode alert. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, so don't, and you know, a lot of most people go to ESPN.com, you know, if it's, if uh, Dan Raphael, if that's what you're reading and, 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 you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't like make me think one way or the other. And I understand the, you know, the, the past history of his infatuation with Spence, but um, trust me, there's a little bit of bias there when Dan Raphael says, says to the, people out there that this was an instant classic do yourself a favor go back and watch some of the fight fights of the year from the past uh salito vargas um uh, bradley uh provodnikov um you know castillo corrales uh you know any of the great you know just any of the fights of the year from the last 20 years and this was not that sorry um uh you and i then were at the fight of the year in my opinion um it was another pbc card that we were ringside for and that was Jarrett Hurd versus Julian J. Rock Williams. That is the leader in the clubhouse for me, my friend. Yeah, look, I, you know, that, that night when the fight was over, I was thinking along the lines of fight of the year. But when you, when you go back and watch the fight again, it's like you said, some of the work isn't, isn't necessarily very clean. 
Um, if you want to say the most action packed fight of the year, sure. I, I can, I can get down with that. If you want to put it in the discussion for fight of the year, sure. There, there, there's no doubt that it's, you know, amongst the top three to five fights so far this year and in the discussion. But I, I, I think you're right. There's, you know, <clears throat> when you're talking fight of the year, sometimes, you know, a, a good brawl got to, you know, I love a good brawl just like everybody else does, but sometimes you got to incorporate you know, some more skill, uh, the overall, uh, you know, the performance that, that, that J rock put on to me is, is hands down the performance of a year by any fighter so far. It was the most beautiful display of just taking somebody to task and beating them at their own game, but also doing it in a much cleaner fashion and 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 punches landed being way 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 more clean and way more effective when a lot of the punches in this fight if you go back and watch were deflected off the gloves on the shoulder you know off the top of the head just not because you know a lot of it at times it became flailing from both of them because they're just trying to keep the other one off of them that that it gets to that point and it gets sloppy at times but again, that doesn't take anything away from what this fight was. I mean, it, I enjoyed the hell out of round one through round 12. And if you told me that that's what I was going to get every Saturday night from a main event, I'd be happy. You know, I, <clears throat> it's, it's more to me what this fight showed was the kind of uh, intestinal fortitude that each one of these fucking guys has. The, the ability to take the punishment that they took and keep fucking coming is just amazing to me that 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 is a display that you rarely see and you rarely see in any sport whether it be a team sport or 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 a or a man or one man man versus man uh competition it's 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 just rare to 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 see that and that's what i come out of this fight appreciating more than anything you know i'm not going to call it fight of the year um i i i think it's in a discussion but you, you it's it just was lacking some 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 of the finer points I'll say to become fight of the year. Yeah, the uh, you know, Sean Porter. I mean, dude, I thought around the sixth or seventh round that there was no way he was going to make it to the end of this thing. You know what I mean? I mean, dude, it, it wasn't just that his mouth was open for most of the fight. It's just, dude, he exerted so much energy, and I and and you're right. The, there was an equal amount of energy exerted, and just trying to keep the guy off of him from Spence, and you know, a, I think a lesser man would have wilted underneath that kind of pressure because, you know, we've watched Sean Porter's career, and we've watched him, you know, more so than most welterweights. Let's say more than anybody except Manny Pacquiao, just because his resume, you know, is seventy fights deep. Um, so there's no way that, uh, that, that Porter could have that kind of resume at this point in his career. Um, but you know, Porter's been in with, with, you know, with some of the better fighters at 147 pounds his entire career. He's had some tough fights. Um, but he is, he took it to another level. I mean, he dug deep because if, if you listen to all of the lead up to this fight, there was a conviction inside of him of a guy that had been sort of playing second fiddle in the priorities of Al Heyman. And, you could tell in his voice, in his tone, every interview, the face-off that they did, that he felt slighted. And not only did he feel slighted, I think that he he knows who slighted him and who sort of treated him as this, you know, 
maybe like the opponent. Yeah, exactly. Like an opponent. Exactly. Not giving him the fights, not allowing him to fight on a regular basis. Um, you know, he felt all of that. But I think he also, because he saw the way that Errol Spence was being treated and the way that his career was being directed and the way that he was being handled, there was some jealousy involved in this too. Oh, I, I agree 100%. And, uh, and the other thing being the chatter from every boxing pundit, every boxing fan, everybody just immediately counted Sean Porter out in this fight. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I wasn't one of them. When I heard the fight was announced, I went, that's an easy win for Spence. Spence should be able to handle him, you know, just like we predicted, eight four nine three, just like everybody kind of predicted that Porter may have some moments, but Spence Spence's class will show through. I think you have to come out of this fight just a little bit, just a little bit, questioning what level of class and of elite fighter is Errol Spence. Because if this is the type of fight that you know, I don't like. I I, I just don't buy into the the narrative that. Spence wanted to beat Porter at his own game. I don't I don't buy into that. A fighter is going to do what he what what game plan is best for him to win and dominate. There's no way Errol Spence wanted that fight to be that close and to take the punishment that he did. That's just stupid to think that. That he was like, "Ah, well, fuck it. I'm going to get beat up. This fight's going to be really close, but I I I'll, I'll I'll edge this thing out." No, 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 no. No. Some of the best fighters in the world and you could let's point to like the Jeff Horn Manny Pacquiao fight and then the Jeff Horn Terrence Crawford fight. An older Manny Pacquiao was had a very hard time keeping a big welterweight off of him. He he won the fight, no doubt about it. 7 8 rounds he won the fight and should have been the winner. But then you go look at <clears throat> the Horn Crawford fight and you see what Terrence Crawford did. Jeff Horn was not able to incorporate that style. You know why? Because Terrence Crawford had had that shit to be had that shit to counteract it and say, "Oh no, 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 no! You're gonna fight my fight. I'm not fighting your fight. I, I'm the boss in the ring." So that to me is kind of the one thing where I come out of it thinking, I, I still think Errol Spence is one of the six, seven best fighters in the world. But when it comes to the now, of course, the conversation immediately after the fight, you know, we barely. After the fight, these these guys were barely praised by anyone before every idiot and their mother started talking about the Crawford matchup and why it shouldn't happen or or why it should happen and the pay-per-view numbers and the clout and the and the paychecks and all the bullshit that 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 surrounds that matchup that is just I mean at, at nauseum from from some of the stupidest I mean the absolute most moronic boxing fans out there right now. And it, 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 it's gotten to a point where it's like, I, 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 I can't fucking do it anymore with these people. Like, I don't under, like they sit there and now they're making excuses for the business of boxing. Like, Hey man, I don't know what's wrong with you. This is how shit goes. So fucking deal with it. This is what matters. You know, if Terrence Crawford wants to get the Spence fight, he's got to beat some top notch welterweights first. Okay, let's fucking take a let's take a big step back there, you dickbag, and look at the situation for for what it is on the surface. Okay, Terrence Crawford cannot get a fight with any PBC welterweight. Do you know why that is? Because Al Heyman has his own plan for those guys. Now, okay, you want to say, well, Terrence Crawford should have signed with the PBC. He shouldn't have to sign with anyone. Okay, 
That's that's absolutely ridiculous. He stuck. He was loyal to the people that built him up to what he was and what he is now, which is a borderline Hall of Fame career already, if not a lock for a Hall of Fame right now, based on what he's achieved as a fighter. Not too many people are undefeated, undefeated three division champions. That's that's Hall of Fame credentials. No matter what you say about the opponents that he beat on his way there, um, he he can't do anything about who those opponents were. He beat who he beat because those were the guys he had to beat to achieve what he wanted to achieve. This wasn't like you know the they set up uh, you know Indongo to become fucking champion because they knew that if he was able to steal a belt, well they could clearly beat Indongo. No, it just that's just, that's just how it happened. But to say that he needs to beat some of the other welterweights to deserve a chance is the most ridiculous fucking statement I've ever heard. We all know, even the people that are saying this, that are making these statements and Errol Spence fans quickly climbing the charts as some of the biggest fucking idiots in the sport of boxing, the, just the biggest, this no regard, just, they'll just fanboy it up and they don't give a, they don't give a shit. It, it, it's, it's pathetic. And, 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 so now they've they've reached this point, right? And they're making these statements, and they honestly like you don't want to see. The, wait a second, these are the two best welterweights in the world. There is no questioning that. Okay, we want to throw Manny Pacquiao in the mix with them, but guess what? Manny doesn't want to fight either one of them. He didn't want to fight Terence Crawford in top rank, and he doesn't want to fight Errol Spence in the PBC. You know why? Because those are the two guys he knows, look, man, I'm not ashamed to say it. These motherfuckers are too good for me, and I don't want to get beat up on my way out. But I will feast on some of these other middling, not middling, I, sh- I shouldn't say middling, some of these other just good fighters, not great fighters. So he can fight the Thurmans. He can, he can fight the Danny Garcias. He can fight the Mikey Garcias. He can, he can mess with all of that lot of fighter because he can compete can compete with all of them. But these two guys, he knows that's, that's a bridge too far for me. I, I, I'm not, not looking, looking to go down that road, but why can't every boxing fan see that too? Like people, it's plain to see. These are the two. This is the best fight in boxing to be made right now. And it's got about a fucking year and a half window before that starts to go out the window, you know, and to make excuses that, that deal with pay-per-view buys and paychecks and who hasn't fought who because of, well, clearly they can't get the fights they want to get because they are being shut out. And that is for a fucking reason, because when they, when the pressure does get big enough, okay. And Terrence Crawford does get, let's say uh, 34 years old, you know, that age when most athletes start to hit the decline. Is it it safe to say about 34 years old, any athlete, I don't care who you are, without fucking, without that Balco juice that Barry Bonds was on back in the day, you're going to decline as an athlete, okay? If you don't have the cream and the clear, the Shane Mosley special, right? If you don't have that, then... It's it's not going to happen for you. Eventually, time catches up. Your 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 reflexes go down, and 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 everything just kind of 
I can't just, I can't help but think that this is what's happening right now, that Spence is playing that long game. And I don't even want to say Spence. I think Spence would fight Terrence Crawford right now. If it was offered to him and the money was right, Ken, he would fight him. But there's the people behind him, the people in control. I don't think they think Errol Spence can beat Terrence Crawford. And that's why they're not making the fight. And they're going to wait until that time when they see that little bit of decline. Just like Triple G with Canelo, Ken. Just you watch that fight. I mean, you can even go back as far as Leonard and Hagler. Sugar Ray Leonard sat ringside before he fought Hagler for Hagler's fight before him. And he said, even after being off for almost three years at the time, he said, I see it. There's some decline there. It's time to strike now. And a fighter can definitely notice those things way better than me or you or anybody else can. That's what's happening here. Okay. And, and, it's just it's just so frustrating that people would find a reason to have this thing be delayed when now is the time. Now is the fucking time. They they could fight twice, three times. It it could be some of the greatest fights in the next 2 or 3 years. But they got to they got to do it. They 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 can't just fucking continue to put this off. And I mean, come on. Danny Garcia, so now we're going to watch Errol Spence fight the guy that Sean Porter beat. What kind of fucking sense does that make? You know, and the PBC sends out a poll the other night and says, who should Errol Spence fight next? And they, they list four fighters, one of them being J-Rock, uh, Manny Pacquiao, uh, a rematch with Porter or Danny Garcia. Every single fucking reply under that tweet was, where's Terrence Crawford? And we want Terrence Crawford. Why not Terrence Crawford? It's, it's become just, it's, it's absolutely frustrating. The, the sport, every time that this happens, every time that there's a matchup that can be made like this, it, it, for whatever reason, it has to be delayed. And then we have to hear this narrative from all of these retards that just have no idea, like, what are you doing? You don't get any, you don't get a slice of this. You are, are, are is he is he going to fucking Venmo you some money for being on his side after the fight? You getting a percentage of that paycheck? No, no, you're not. So please, people, boxing fans, we want to see good fights. We don't. We want to see the best fight, the best. We don't care about all of the semantics that surround it. Please, please go away from me with that nonsense because it's it's. I got high blood pressure already. If you can't tell. <laughs> Uh, I don't need it raised anymore by these morons. I'm just, I'm done with it, Ken. Are you sure? <laughs> I think, was that too long? No, I just thought you had more juice. <laughs> <laughs> the way fighters go about, you know, bobbing and weaving through the, uh, uh, the path that's created by their promoters. It's, it's all different. It, it, it just depends on, um, you know, some of the peripheral stuff that goes along with it. I, I'm sure that Golden Boy and Team Canelo would have, you know, rather not had the WBC belt involved because it's a chess game, right? Moves and counter moves. You know, they they beat Cotto for the belt and Golovkin positioned himself by getting the Rubio fight in the Mexican style fight at the StubHub Center that made him the mandatory to Canelo. Well, they were sitting there watching Golovkin and saying, this guy's still a murderer. 
and we don't want to get in the ring with this guy right now. Unfortunately, that required them, the only way that they could maneuver that was not by saying that, hey, uh, you know, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, blah, blah, blah. No, the WBC said you got to fight Golovkin. They had to actually, Canelo had to, he had to give up that belt. He had to drop the belt, so he couldn't even hide it. You know what I'm saying? He became so pissed off because he couldn't, he couldn't get the WBC to do him an inside Mexican favor. You know what I'm saying? To make him not look so bad. And he was pissed at the WBC for years because of that. Right. And so sometimes you like, it's unavoidable the way that you come out looking. See now Errol Spence has the protection of Al Heyman. Right. So like you said, you hit the nail on the head and all of what you said, Ben. And, and it's so true. Al Heyman has his own plan for Errol Spence. This thing's been charted out. There's enough welterweight depth within the PBC that they, dude, it's like, you know, uh, George Martin writing Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? You just keep on printing book after book after book. They got this thing planned out well in advance. And, you know, so it's, it's easier that way. All of his employees, which he gets a cut of all, all of their, their pies he gets his 15 percent from everybody and if you've got a, a pool of four or five opponents that all make top dollar that the money's coming from fox and you get to take money off the top from all of them it's it's a business decision so the way that you can do this is to insulate yourself and al Heyman's narrative and his story his storyline that he's created for the path that errol spence's career is going to go on for the next couple of years it doesn't involve Terrence Crawford. And it's it is a it's a it's a better way, it's a more comfortable way to avoid a fight. What the way that Canelo had to go about it, I mean, dude, he took some serious PR hits for the way that they had to go about that with Golovkin. In this case, Errol Spence, he has the PR machine behind him. He has the fights in front of him and the pathway laid before him to where he comes out smelling like roses at the end of this, regardless. And, you know, just a little, uh, you know, um, translation, a little Google Translate, used it on the last episode too. When you hear a team, a promotional entity, uh, a network using language like, you aren't a big enough attraction, I'm the A side, you're the B side. That is code, Google Translate says, for ducking. For avoiding a fight. That's all that means. Okay. Now, you can say I'm being harsh. You all can out there can say that I'm being a hater. No, that's the fact. And there are little birdies within the industry that may land on a shoulder or two. And we hear the conversations um, about, you know, people being interested in certain fights and people not being interested in certain fights. And you're exactly right. We heard Errol Spence in an interview with Fight Hype before the fight, and I thought it was a pretty good, um, you know, uh, bit that Errol Spence of, of information that he gave us to kind of give us, you know, people that don't get to hear some of the inside, um, you know, some of the stuff that Al Heyman does for his fighters, other than just like hooking them up with, you know, opponents and big purses, um, you know, the how he and he helps them invest in their futures, and you could hear that there was a loyalty, you know with with 
you know, to Al Heyman because he took the time to set Errol Spence's family up for the future. Not just, you know, because Top Rank offered a massive signing bonus, according to Errol Spence. They offered him more money up front than Al Heyman did. But Al Heyman said that I'm going to plan for you for the future. Um, and because he did that, and now Errol Spence is set up for life because of um, the advisement of, of Al Heyman, he's loyal to him. In the same way, like you said, that Bob Arum helped craft Terrence Crawford and brought him along and put him in the right positions throughout his career to be where he's at, to have earned for his family and to have supported him along the way. Why can't there be loyalty back the other way? I mean, at the end of the day, we, you know, we've talked in circles about it. I said it on the Daily Rant today. You, you just said it you know, in your monologue, Vin. The, the bottom line is if you care about boxing, you care about the fights. And all we want to see is the best fight the best. And this thing may drag out a little wise, okay? And if these, if there weren't people that were driving the careers of these two fighters, they probably would have already been in the ring with one another. But that's just not how it works. But that doesn't mean that we can't keep pushing for the fights. And I don't want to listen and I don't want to hear about who's qualified and who's earned this and who's fought who and blah, blah, blah. To, to say that this warrants and justifies these two actually getting in the ring with one another. They're the two best, so let's see them fight. But real quick about the Danny Garcia thing. I'm sitting here watching this, okay? And I'm like, as soon as this fight's over, I'm like, what the fuck is Danny Garcia doing in the ring? Like, <laughs> not because, like, I don't know who Danny Garcia is or... You know, it wasn't like, who's this random guy in the turtleneck in the ring? You know what I mean? Like, is this the guy that carries the bag of cash out for him? Like, like, you know, like, it, I, I guarantee you some of the fanagers out there were saying that. Um, but I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, seriously, what is he doing in there? And then it was like this. It's almost like they like they were like, hey, yo, Danny, wear this turtleneck tonight. And we're going to speak in your earpiece and let you know what's going on later. All right. Like he almost like he didn't know what was going on. It was so thrown together. And it just speaks to the point that we keep hammering home. Errol, you can sit here and scream and cry for this Crawford fight. It is clear with how haphazardly this Danny Garcia was thrown together in the ring at the end of this. This thing, Errol Spence's next three fights are already signed. How quickly and, and how randomly that happened was actually not by happenstance at all. It's just they didn't put much thought into it because this shit's been planned for five years. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Hey, hey, you guys got chapter five of Errol Spence's career? What happens next? Oh, fuck, Danny. Danny, you're up next. Hurry up. Get in the ring. It's like the producers in Game of Thrones that were writing the episodes before the books were out. Exactly. It's like, oh, shit, we, we ain't got no more source material. Danny's here. <laughs> Look, I mean, to me, the only reason that Danny Garcia got this fight is because there was a Manny Pacquiao sweepstakes going on in the background that involved two Garcias. And one of the Garcias, which got the Errol Spence fight, didn't get the Pacquiao fight. So he got the consolation prize, which is a little bit less money, but still very good money, but a much tougher fight, a much harder fight for, for Danny Garcia to win. So, you know, that, that, that's all it is. And, and, and look, you got Ugas, you got Thurman, you got Danny Garcia. All, all of these fights can be made in the PBC universe. And guess what? I will tune in for every single one of them because all of them will be entertaining fights. But in the back of my mind, 
I'll be bitching and moaning that I'm, why am I getting number one verse number four? Why am I getting number one verse number six? Why am I getting number one verse number three? Why can't I get number one verse number two? Like in any other fucking sport, that'd be like if the, the Patriots and the Chiefs, you know, who are going to play for pretty much the Super Bowl in the AFC championship game, that they get to that matchup and, and, and the Chiefs go, eh, not really interested in that fight. I don't think we can win. So uh, we're going to go, we're going to go, uh, eh, well, let, let, let's face the Chargers because we can win that fight. Uh, we can win that game. Yeah. I don't know. The Chargers are a little risky. What about the Dolphins? What are they doing? <laughs> I mean, it's just the only, only this sport, man, only boxing and only boxing fans would make an excuse for it. That's true, man. They, they just anything that has absolutely nothing to do with fighting is an excuse and it will be used. There's no doubt about it. But one thing that, that you said that I just want to, I just want to dispute a little bit. And it's just because I have a different take on it. As far as Manny Pacquiao and and like if he is capable or able or wanting, um, you know, to fight Errol Spence or if he can if he can compete or you know whatever with him and Terence Crawford, I think the Manny Pacquiao thing is pretty simple. I think that you made a comment about about these guys are too good. I don't think it's the too good part. I think that each. Crawford and and Spence pose two totally different riddles for Manny Pacquiao. I think the problem with with Terrence Crawford for Manny Pacquiao is the quickness, is the fast twitch. Okay, mm-hmm. I just don't think that even though Manny Pacquiao is still, you know, probably uh, I don't know, maybe the second or third most athletic welterweight in the world. I mean, we saw that most people thought that Keith Thurman was the second most athletic welterweight in the world behind Terrence Crawford and. Um, you know, maybe it was the time out of the ring and the injuries, but Pacquiao looked the superior athlete. He looked faster. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's the problem with Crawford. It's just, I don't think he has the, um, the, the, you know, his athleticism is aged too much with Errol Spence. I still think Manny Pacquiao is the better fighter. I, I, I'm 100% convinced, especially after what I saw against Sean Porter. But here's the thing. I just think that just like with the Jeff Horn fight, I just think Spence is too big. Yeah. I just, th- I, I just think he's too physically strong. And maybe that's what you were alluding to more than it was a skill. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I just think Spence is, he looks at Spence and he says, you know, that's a grueling, grueling, brutal fight. I'm 40 years old. I've been through that battle. I don't, I don't need any more of those in my life. But I think a, a, a Terrence Crawford fight for Manny could be more of like, I don't really feel like getting embarrassed when I can beat these other guys. Right. No, absolutely. 100. There's two completely different reasons. You know, at the end of the day, they equal the same thing, but it's two different, completely different reasons why he didn't want to fight either guy. And I can tell you who he doesn't want to fight more than any of those two is Sean Porter. <laughs> Probably. Dude. That would be Pacquiao would tap out after the fourth round. He'd be like, dude, this guy, I mean, he, you know what I'm saying? It'd be like just getting like, seriously, it'd be like fighting with a pit bull. You know what I think? I think that, and you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, is the, you know, the fact that Sean Porter has kind of played second fiddle and been the opponent for, for a lot of these fights that these, you know, really good welterweight fights that he's been involved in. Um, Maybe he can go talk to Uncle Al, and maybe they can let him hit the other side of the street. Or Terrence Crawford can come to the other side of the street, however you retards like to call it. You know, 
But that seems like a fight that, you know, why not? Why not? Why can't that fight be made? There's plenty of money to be made for both fighters there. It, it, it's a, it's a, at least a barometer for what the possibilities could be in a, in a, a, a Spence Crawford fight. It, it seems like that would make sense to me. But you know what? I highly, highly doubt we get it. Yeah, you know, I think that um, maybe Sean Porter has more value to Al Heyman now after this performance. What I mean? Oh yeah, dude. I think it, now you know Keith Thurman's going to come, going to get a get back fight in early 2020, right? And guess what's going to happen in late 2020? You're get Thurman Porter too. It's it's coming, and it, it's probably not going to be a pay per view, but it'll be a big fight on on Fox. I mean, it, you it know. better not be a pay per view because I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be it, guaranteed that fight. It's not going to sell on pay per view. That'll be a Fox fight, and it'll and it it'll be a big fight for them. And you know, it's just it's gotten to the point where the welterweight division in, in the PBC is somewhat predictable. It's just a fucking you know, it's a round robin, merry go round, whatever you want to call it. And they're all they're all like, don't get me wrong, they're all good fights. They're very good fights. And, and and they'll all be entertaining, but it's not the fight. It's not the one we should be getting. No, um, you know the Danny Garcia thing was just so random, man. And and just to, to you know, just the typical players out there, you know, the puppets that you know that be the shilling that goes on. I mean, I know we used to get really bent out of shape about it years ago on this podcast, but you know, Mike Mike Coppinger never fails to show his true colors. You know what I mean? It's like. I- joke a joke you know it's it's as as soon as it 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 seems like that he's sort of like working um you know all angles which he does that's how you you know that's how uh you know a fucking douchebag like him ends up you know squirming and uh sliming and skeezing his way to the position that he's in is by you know is by fluffing everybody at least he's got you know one hand jiggling balls over here one hand jiggling balls over here and his tongue jiggling balls and you know what I mean? So that's how he keeps everybody happy. But, you know, as soon as this happens, as soon as Danny Garcia comes in the rings, oh, this is a great fight. Is it? Is it a great fight? I mean, I'm pretty sure we spent some time on the last episode talking about Danny Garcia, right? And and and, and not to beat this dead horse with him, but Danny Garcia has given me the impression, and I watch the sport pretty damn close. I just don't randomly spout off uh, random, uh, you know, guesstimates about Powerball numbers and pay-per-view buys, Okay. Um, actually watch the sport and watch what's going on in the ring and uh, see who people have fought, where they've been, where they're at, where they're going. And Danny Garcia, and I'll say it again, all applauds to him. If it's how he wants to live, he wants to spend time with his family, um, he wants to spend time with his investments outside of the ring, go for it, man. That's what I like to do. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's what I do with 99% of my time is spend it with my family. So more power to you, man. I wish I could spend more more time away from work and more time with my family, right? But Danny Garcia comes off as not being a, a full time player. Like he's not really inboxing for you know for anything other than at this point just collecting large checks. And I think he knows at this point that hey shit, this is going to be on pay per view. There's going to be upside. Errol's growing, you know, a little bit bigger every time. I'm a, I'm a recognizable name enough if this thing does 300,000 pay-per-views maybe we can do 400 or 450 and I can make five or six million dollars myself I'll take that you know and I'll go in there and I'll compete but it's it's a lead it's a lead nowhere fight it's just a name it's just a you know it's it's a filler fight 
that they will pitch and promote. And, and, and the promotion has started, obviously, with him coming in the ring and Mike Coppinger tweeting out how, how, how amazing this fight is going to be. They're going to bill it as that this thing's really serious. But um, the Danny Garcia and Errol Spence fight is going to be much, much more uh, disparity. Um, between these two fighters because there is not a jilted uh jilted ex-lover um you know mentality a a you know a slighted um second child feeling that burns deep down inside that Sean Porter had you could tell there was some there was substance behind it and that substance led to a great fight this Danny Garcia thing rings hollow for me yeah it does and I mean it's not like we're not going to tune in for it you know, it, it's a decent fight, okay? But there, there's nothing special about it, and especially when when it when it takes away from what what should be happening. And but you know, before we move on from this, Ken, I got one question for you. I got to date myself a little bit on this question. Sure. Did Keith Thurman beat Sean Porter more convincingly than Errol Spence did? Yes, I, I think he did too. I honestly think he did. Now it was a better fight too. Yeah, and and. That's that Keith Thurman's not the same fighter that he was in that fight. So I'm not trying to imply that. Well, Keith Thurman might be able to beat Errol Spence. No, Keith, yeah, you are, man. No, Keith Thurman will get <laughs> will get will get stopped within six or seven rounds in a fight with Errol Spence. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, I agree. A lot has happened since uh, since Keith Thurman fought Sean Porter. Um, after that fight, I mean, I, I think that you were even though you were a little over the top with it, you're fanboying him a little bit, but um, I think that you were 100% grounded in reality that uh, his momentum looked like he was, he was heading towards the top. And then he, you know, he met a Buddhist monk and climbed Mount Everest and his, his world changed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's great that you bring that up because I honestly feel like the, in, in my opinion, uh, the Keith Thurman, Sean Porter fight was a better fight than the Errol Spence-Sean Porter fight, and Keith Thurman did beat him more decisively. Thank you. I'm, I'm, you know what? I feel, I'm feeling pretty good right now, Ken. Even though I'm kind of off the Thurman bandwagon, mm-hmm. once, you, once you're in love, you can't, you can't just turn your back like that, Ken. All right? Hey, man, I uh, learned a few things from Mike Coppinger. I know how to fucking jiggle balls with my tongue, too. A <laughs> hell of a job you did, sir. Thank you. Um, all right, let's get past this. Um, Anthony Durrell versus David Benavidez. Um, David Benavidez got popped for cocaine, um, got stripped of his belt, and Anthony Durrell got the belt. And so David Benavidez was getting his shot back at this title. Coming into this fight, um, we pretty much took what Anthony Durrell has given us, his attitude, his infrequency of fighting, his seriousness about boxing, um, and kind of cast him away on the, you know, a little bit, didn't really give him much of a chance. I just want to say before we talk about this fight, I was pleasantly shocked and was glad to, to sit there and, and sort of eat some, you know, some crow while I was watching this. I was really surprised at how Anthony Durrell came at, at David Benavidez. Now it didn't last long until he got hit and his eye got split open and then his tactics changed a little bit. But the way that he came out in this fight before getting cut, Anthony Durrell, at 34 years old, looked faster than I've ever seen him in the ring. He looked quicker, in better shape, better prepared, and more motivated than any fight I've ever seen him in, honestly. Yeah, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I kind of questioned everything that you questioned about Durrell coming into this fight and, and have for the last three, four years of his career, which have been boring. Um, this performance was not, man. I, I, I give him credit. He went for it, you know, whether he 
whether that was the right move or not, uh, you know, I, I give him credit for for coming out the way he did and putting on the performance that he did. Uh, you know, y- you can't really disrespect a man after after he puts on a performance like that, even in a loss. You just you can't do it. The guy left it in the ring, so you know, good on Anthony Durrell. I cannot imagine though that David Benavidez is going to last very long at 168 pounds, dude. He looked like a cruiserweight in the ring. Yeah, it, I, it's amazing. It's a like he. Even, you know, we've had some big ones here with, with Gilberto Ramirez and, and, and Callum Smith. He seems big compared to them. Like I, I, He seems I, thick. Usually they're, like, like tall and, and, and skinny at least. Like, he, he was, like, wide, dude. I, I absolutely love his style of fighting. I mean, quickly becoming one of my favorite fighters to just watch go to work. He just, he fucking stalks, man. I mean, just stalks people down. And he's he's getting better and better at cutting off the ring. Uh, he's only going to get better because I believe he's only 22. Yeah, he's 22. So, look, man, this guy's career, the, the future is bright. Um, Got to stay away from that, that toot toot, and he might be all right. <laughs> oh, man. He, he, you know, looking at it, the guy doesn't quite, you know, come off as a guy that enjoys skiing. Um, but apparently he does uh what i did find very very speaking of uh uh you know ballsy moves um i just found it pretty outrageous but very spot on for 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 professional prize fighting for this dude to claim that he's a two-time champion right it's like dude dude seriously the wbc just basically semi followed their own rules because you got popped for cocaine. They put your belt on layaway, gave it to an opponent that they knew that you could beat. Don't be claiming no two time, nothing. You got stripped the first time. Yeah. Once you get two time is, uh, you know, moving to another weight class losing, or getting beat, right? Losing your belt and getting it back. Uh, it's not when you get stripped and then get it back. Yeah. You don't get to claim that. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny, man. But it's par for the course, right? Hey, I mean, Adrian Broner's a four-time champ, Ken. So yeah. Robert Guerrero's a six-time champ. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and the BF titles in this motherfucker. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, but it was a good scrap, man. It, it was entertaining. I, I, I tell you what, dude, that reach that Benavidez has, and when he starts unloading those multi-punch combinations, man. I I thought a guy like Anthony Durrell, just his demeanor and his makeup, I thought for sure that shit was just going to get old for him. And it didn't, man. I, I Who knows what would have happened. I think D- David Benavidez ends up just stopping him at some point. But, dude, um, that cut he had on his eyelid was nasty. It was. And and David Benavidez might be already. If if he isn't, he's he's in the top three combination punchers in the sport of boxing right now oh yeah at 22 years old man this this kid is special he does have some flaws though he is definitely upright and if he ever gets in the ring like if he's got to move up to 175 pounds not like there's any any depth at 175 pounds in the pbc anyways but um you know i think i think caleb plant could give him a little bit of trouble yeah no i i think i think caleb plant has the boxing skills to 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 make you know, David Benavidez is head spin, but the key is, can you stay, can you get off the ropes? Can you stay away from him? Cause if you let him, if you get pinned down by Benavidez, man, it's going to be a long night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Big head, John Molina in action for what would be his 
final fight of his career. You called it coming into this fight. Um, I, I kind of had assumed prior to learning that this fight was on the undercard that, that John Molina had already retired. Um, he had a very tough career being an opponent in a lot of fights. He was in a fight of the year. Um, that was a memorable fight against, uh, what was it? Lucas Matisse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had, a uh, you know, one of the more memorable comebacks in a fight that he was getting absolutely dominated in against Mickey Bay and pulled off a Hail Mary in the final round. Um, you know, so he's had some memorable fights. Uh, you know, he beat Provodnikov. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but here's the thing, man. I mean, I had a hard time after that Matisse fight. I had a really hard time watching John Molina fight. I was just like, I can't believe this guy gets paid to fight. He's got the worst technique I've ever seen in my entire life. He wings some shots. That's for sure. With his head, like pointing so far, pointing past parallel to the mat. He's like looking at his crotch while he's throwing the punches. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, you know, those were some, he gave us some good nights and some entertaining fights for sure. But watching that on Saturday was, was kind of painful. It's like, uh, this guy shouldn't be fighting. This guy shouldn't be taking punches because you, you can see that his legs aren't there, but that big head can, can still take a, can still take a, a mean shot. And, you know, I, I saw it as, and, and I've seen it in the past couple fights. He just doesn't have it anymore. And his legs are gone and he can't really, he doesn't have this. He still has very good punch resistance, but it ain't the same. So your boy saw over under eight and a half, and I saw how really Josecito Lopez looked pretty good against Keith Thurman. I said, you know what? I think Josecito going to get him under eight and a half. And I got it by about 40 seconds. <laughs> what a hell. What a mysterious resurgence to a career. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it does. It does make one. Uh, ask questions that's for sure um one last thing before we leave the pay-per-view i just got to say the announcing crew i don't want to get wrapped around the axle on this one i actually really like kenny albert for boxing he's not bad okay not bad yeah i think that as as a as a blow-by-blow guy i think he's really good um honestly uh now that you know lampley has has hung it up i guess um uh, you know, I think Kenny Albert's as good as anybody. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's better than Tessator. But I think that Joe Goosen and Lennox Lewis may have the worst chemistry <laughs> out of any two color guys I have ever listened to. I'm not saying that like Lennox Lewis as an announcer was definitely better ten years ago, right? Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I just think this. I think Joe Goosen comes off as very hard-headed um he comes off as a know-it-all um and he seems like one of those guys that like if you were at a party drinking he would pin you in the corner and would not shut the fuck up (laughs) one of those guys huh yeah and you know what i'm saying and would and would sit there with eyes wide staring at you in his jean jacket and he would be like do you understand what i'm saying do you understand what I'm saying? No, seriously, do you really understand what I'm saying? No, I tuned out like two minutes ago, Joe. Yeah, and they were just like not interested in hearing what either one had to say. And I think because Lennox is such a gentleman, it kind of made him come off as a pussy. 
jeez. Does that make sense? No, no, it does make sense. It's just Colin Lennox a pussy, man. Yeah, damn, Ken. No, I'm not saying that he is. It just <laughs> with his gent with his gentle voice. Then you know what I mean. He's just got. He's so he, he's so soft spoken and like you know. Joe Goosen's just that dude who's like in your face with his hot breath. You know. <laughs> it just didn't work for me, they're, man. They're not good. They're not a good combination. They got to figure something out there i mean there's plenty of guys out there that could do a better job let's 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 figure it out fox um yeah i got a i got a perfect answer for you come on al you know what happened to your little parrot that sits on your shoulder Pauly malanaji don't you like own part of his life like where's he at doesn't he need a job i mean it makes perfect sense where's al bernstein and Pauly? put him with kenny albert and we got it we got a crew you know yeah can can, can showtime share you know share <laughs> you talking then they cannot they cannot share they have a clarissa shields fight to get ready for i'm sure those guys are just amped about that too <laughs> oh they're gonna call yeah yeah uh, to the public on social media they're definitely gonna act like they're amped for it can't wait for that um, sell job did you see the uh, consolation prize that that uh that uncle al tossed old rat boy espinoza he Tossed him uh, Charlo versus Dennis Hogan. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a main event Showtime Championship boxing. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, I, I can't even believe he accepted that. I would have thrown that back at him. He's desperate, man. God, desperate times call for desperate measures. He wants to. I, I don't know. I, I just think it's like, dude, just, just, just do it, man. Just, just throw in the towel, man. It's okay. Yeah. It's all good. You guys got good TV shows. People like to watch or be the home, be the home of women's boxing, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's, that's great. That's just like, um, this morning I'm driving to work and I turn on my uh, favorite radio show and the first two minutes of the show as it goes on the air are talking about Della Don and the Washington Mystics winning game one of the WNBA finals. Oh my God. I didn't know that was going on. Me either, man. Uh, You want to talk about a shriveled up, like into the gut, like sucked in moment. It was like, Oh dude, don't ever talk about that again. Or I will never listen to your show ever again. (laughs) I mean, you may as well like, like, you know, come into a, you know, come into, you know, Redskins at eight and they open up with like an arts and crafts guest, you know, <laughs> Martha Stewart first. <laughs> it's going to teach you how to make uh homemade popsicle sticks to that look like turkeys and pilgrims for Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shit. Um, all right. Across the seas on uh, Friday, it was um, heavyweight prospect Daniel Dubois versus Ebenezer Tete for the uh, British and Commonwealth um, heavyweight titles on ESPN. Plus, Daniel Dubois um, blasted out the, I don't know if you would call him overmatched. I don't think he should have been in the match, Ebenezer Tete. Um, and it was an explosive, uh, abrupt sort of finish. Um, there was some serious fluffing going on about Dubois after this that um, I just couldn't wrap my head around, man. I'm like, do you understand who he just beat? <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to sit here and, and like beat this guy Tete up too badly because, I, you know, you'd have to pay me a lot more than Tete got paid to get in the ring with Daniel Dubois, uh, right? He, that's, that's easy work for Charles Martin. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, Vyacheslav Glaskov. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, a blast from the past there. No, what did I say on 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 Twitter? Um that the uh uh Darnell the Dingling man Wilson would have looked uh <laughs> would have looked next level against Ebenezer Tete. What? You know? Darnell was local guy, right? I don't know where the Dingling man was from. I saw him. He was on the undercard of uh, he actually fought by Atchislav Glaskov on the undercard of Alien Crusher in Atlantic City. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was the worst fight. That was the worst heavyweight fight I've ever seen live in my entire life. It was I think it was an eight rounder. Good God. Oh. And I was like, this, this guy Glaskov is like like ranked like this was like a a fight to get him i guess into the top 10 which ended up inevitably leading to that charles martin fight but i'm sitting sitting there watching that fight i was like this guy i mean dude darnell wilson was fat and way way past his prime i want to say wilson fought at light heavyweight at one point (laughs) so yeah wound up being like a 230 pound heavyweight fighter i mean he 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 went the james tony route Oh yeah. I think he was even shorter than James Tony. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but anyways, um, you know, so I just have, I have a hard time with this. People are coming at me because like, I'm, I'm telling them that Daniel Dubois is not the second coming. He's not, I've seen that. I've, I've watched this movie before uh, about a, a UK heavyweight that everybody gets all, you know, googly eyed and, you know, uh, about, and because he looked emphatic and what he did in the, in the first round against Tete, I'm just not buying it, man. I I'm not. And it, don't don't tell me, oh, well, it wasn't this fight. I mean, we understand that Tete was nothing, right? But it was the Gorman fight, the fight before. That's the one that told me that he was going to be world level and a championship fighter. I was like, who, 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 who the fuck is Gorman? I, a, a 16 and O. They're like, oh yeah, he's an elite domestic fighter. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. So now we're talking about, you know, an elite domestic fight. Stop it. Okay? Stop it. That can't be a real statement. You can't. I don't think it's, it's a real thing. Beating, what are you talking about? That does not, like, beating this guy, Gorman, who nobody has ever heard of. You can call me ignorant and say, well, you know, you obviously don't pay, uh, pay close enough attention. Listen, I watch this sport as close as anybody that takes the time to talk about it, maybe even closer. And I can tell you right now, I've never heard of the motherfucker. All right. <laughs> so, that, so that's why he will not be <laughs> the next great heavyweight champion of the world. I don't think he's that yet, but I do think there's some promise there. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pontificate on how far he's going to go based on that past fight or the fight before. But I do think there's a certain skill level, uh, a little bit of hand speed, a little bit of snap, a little bit of power, that there's a, there's a possibility for him at least to, uh, to at least compete with the best in the world. I don't know if he'll ever be a champ, but I, but I think he's got a little something that he could build on. Remember what Joseph Parker's hand speed looked like when he was coming up in his early 20s against guys like Gorman? Joseph Parker. Right? Here's here's you want to I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole with Joseph Parker, but the, the level of disappointment to what his career became because he did have the skill level, Ken, and at at a certain point he got that belt and he became a superstar in New Zealand, and I think he, that was good enough for him. 
Like I think he achieved what he wanted to achieve and he kind of punted on, on, on improving at the age of 25. It's like, well, I kind of got to where I, where I wanted to go. I got me a championship belt. I can call myself heavyweight champ. I'm a, I'm a star in New Zealand. I mean, the first thing that he needed to do was find a new trainer and he still to this day won't do it. If he would go to a different trainer and he would refocus, I still think that that Joseph Parker could possibly earn. I mean, look, if Andy Ruiz can do it, Joseph Parker can do it because he beat him. But <laughs> but it's at, at a certain point, he became disinterested and he had the talent. But it, it's talk about a guy that's man, what a frustrating uh, career path. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's not the same because I don't think they're anywhere near the same style uh, of fighter, but perhaps the same motivation or lack thereof at a young age um, that's that that, you know, derailed it for for all intents and purposes. You know, it's sort of a parallel to David Lemieux. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, you know, a guy that that what's it? Yeah, exactly. Like when dedicated, when um, focused um you know is fights at a different level but uh when they're not which is a majority of the time you know the good thing is for joseph parker is that if he wanted to dedicate himself like like you said he's still young enough you know what i mean yeah um where he could totally he could take a year off get a new trainer retool his career have one or two get back fights and he'd be ready to lock cocked and ready to rock um but anyways yeah i agree with you enough on joseph parker um so to be continued on daniel dubois i'm not being hard on the kid but he's a he's a fucking prospect people yes okay let's pump the brakes and he's a heavyweight prospect at that the depth at the heavyweight division isn't exactly the deepest that's why people are desperate to get him up there ken yep you're exactly right um all right let's get to the fight preview um we have a fight from New York for the vacant IBF middleweight championship of the world is the return of Triple G Gennady Golovkin as he squares off against number one contender Sergey Derevyanchenko. Um, this fight is kind of being thrown to the wayside. I think uh, a lot of this, it's sort of why um, there are only certain demographics that, um, that follow and watch NHL hockey. Because I'm convinced it's not a color thing. It's it's a it's a it's a demographic thing. It's a it's a an age, a geographical location thing. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that there aren't a lot of people in America watching a, an American based professional sports league um, that are very interested in people that don't don't want to learn to speak the native language and you can't pronounce their last name. Um and I know that sounds shallow, but there's a lot of truth to that. Oh, absolutely. And I, th- and, I, and I think that that's why Derevyanchenko is kind of being slighted as, oh, this guy's just another, another dummy that they're setting up for Golovkin to knock down. That's not this fight, man. Not, no, not this Golovkin. You know, if this was three years ago, Triple G, four years ago, Triple G, sure, I'd say he doesn't stand a chance. But this isn't the same Triple G. So, you know, this fight is probably going to be a little bit more competitive than some people expect it to be. I don't see any way that Triple G comes in here and steamrolls the guy. I I really don't, especially with the trying to incorporate this new style, get on your toes a little bit, you know, do a little bit more boxing. You know, 
I'm not so sure. Like this whole Jonathan Banks thing, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not convinced that this was the right trainer to go to at this point in his career. Triple G is going to be Triple G, and I think at, at a certain point in this fight, you're going to see him revert back to the the Triple G that we've watched for years. I, you know, you, the old adage that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, yeah, you can for a second. But when the going gets tough in a fight, you more than likely you're going to revert back to what got you there. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think this is going to be a really good fight. I honestly do. I think it'll be very entertaining. Um, I, I think Triple G will will end up pulling it out because he'll land he'll land the harder shots. He'll land the cleaner shots. His jab will probably carry the fight for the most part, like it normally does in most of his fights. But I think Derevianchenko will have some success. He's a crafty motherfucker, man. People are completely disrespecting him coming into this fight, I feel like. You know, oh, Danny Jacobs beat him, so he's not that good. I mean, Danny Jacobs is a huge middleweight, and Derevianchenko is a small middleweight. So, yeah, it was a tough fight for him. And coming down the stretch of that fight, I don't know if anybody remembers or if anybody was even paying attention, but Derevianchenko was making a run. The last four, he probably won three of the last four rounds of that fight and was spinning uh, Jacobs on the inside, was turning him, was landing some nice combinations. He just doesn't punch hard enough. And if he tries to get into that, the problem here is I think if he tries to get into that fight with G, I think he'll have some success at times, but he won't be able to withstand the punches that G will be able to land in return. And that will deter him a little bit from fighting that style, and he'll probably go into a little bit of survival mode and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that this fight goes twelve rounds. Yeah, um, I don't think it goes twelve rounds. I think Golovkin stops him. Um, and here's the reason I say that is that you know, you know, I think that that Golovkin's at that age where you know some people are forecasting at some point that there there will be this uh, Ricky Hatton Costa Zoo, you know, kind of moment where this young, just frenetic, come-forward, aggressive fighter is just going to push the older Golovkin, you know, a little bit too far, like Hatton did with, um, you know, with Costa Zoo, where it was just too much. Like, you could just tell, like, that was the last fight Costa Zoo had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, okay, I clearly don't have it anymore to keep up with maniacs like Ricky Hatton, right? Um, And that was the end of his career. But the big difference there was, is that, Costa Zoo was 10 years older than Ricky Hatton when that fight happened. Yeah. So, you know, this, I think people are trying to incorporate that sort of, that this might be the fight. This might be Golovkin's Ricky Hatton. Daryevchenko is 34 years old. He's only a couple years younger than Gennady Golovkin. So he's got some mileage on him, right? 14 fights too. That's all he's got. 14 fights. So look, um, to me, it's an experience thing. And because of their ages and where they are, I think they're both physically strong fighters. I don't think that, that you know, the only thing that's going to trick Golovkin at this age um, is somebody that can physically overpower him or somebody that can outclass him as a boxer. And I don't think uh, that Sergey can do either of these things. That's why I think somewhere um, around the 10th round, Golovkin is going to just end up just beating him to a pulp. I think, I think he's kind of tailor-made for him. But to go back to my original point when we entered into the preview of this of this fight is that 
Derevyanchenko is, dude, he's a strong, physically strong fighter. And I think that it's going to make it for a very tenuous sort of stressful fight for Golovkin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think he's got the the strength, the power, um, and the chin that um, he's going to end up breaking this guy at the end. So I'm going to predict Golovkin by 10th round TKO. Uh, you know, and it's weird to say this, but I kind of feel like Golovkin almost needs that type of win. Like he needs a knockout. He needs something ex- like he needs an exciting performance. Not to say that his performances haven't been exciting up until this point, but it's kind of been like this little period with the roles fight and, and, and just, I just feel like he needs to get a little juice back into his career, like a little kickstart and, and the, a knockout would be the way to do it. Cause that would, t- you know, you always compare uh, performances against other fighters and this, that would say a lot. If, if Golovkin knocks the Revianchenko out, wh- whether you think he is good or not, um, he is certainly a legitimate top six, five, six, seven middleweight in the world right now. So when you can knock a guy out like that in an impressive fashion, that that's a, that's makes a statement. And I think Golovkin needs a little statement right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but then again, might be the fight where he gets pushed off, pushed off the edge. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing moving forward, um, you know, with Golovkin that, you know, especially his detractors and, and, you know, his haters um, are definitely going to be looking for every, you know, micro, uh, you know, millimeter of slippage oh, yeah. um, from Gennady Golovkin. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for the uh, fight preview. Um, let's get to the news and notes and get out of here, Vin. Um, one topic to talk about on episode 241, the 2020 Hall of Fame ballot is out. And um, the rules have changed. This year, there's no longer a five-year wait, so I'll go ahead and preface that before I name some of these names because people are going to be listening saying they have not been retired for that long. Um, but it's changed to three years, and basically what it, the way it works is, is that the threshold for number of people that can be inducted into the Hall of Fame is still three, right? But anybody that receives 80% of the vote automatically gets inducted. So it could be five if there's five fighters that get 80% of the vote. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and okay. I, you look at that list, and there's there are probably quite a few guys that could get in this year. So, um, the most notable names: Bernard Hopkins, Juan Manuel Marquez, Sugar Shane Mosley, Carl Froch, Sergio Martinez, Tim Bradley, and I don't know why Dan Rayfield tweeted this guy's name: um, Antonio Tarver. I'm sure Antonio Tarver loves it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look to me, Vin, there's, there's one absolute 100%. Everybody better fucking vote for him or you're getting your voting privileges revoked. Um, and that's Bernard Hopkins. Yeah, I think, well, I think actually the first three guys you name Hopkins, Mosley and Marquez. I mean, Hopkins is definitely without a doubt. Like you said, first ballot hall of famer without question. Mosley and Marquez, there might be a little debate there, but I feel like those guys, the, their careers warrant uh, a, a a first ballot uh, uh, get in. So I, you know, the other guys you name after that, they should probably remain on the list for a little while, and maybe that last one you name shouldn't be on the list. But then again, I mean, Carl Froch is on the list too, Ken. So oh, would you stop it? <laughs> 
Just stop it. Yeah. Remember, remember at the same time, I was there with you the day that Sergio Martinez got his shit pushed in by Miguel Cotto at Madison Square Garden. Hey, I don't think Sergio should get in. And the and the hey, before that fight, before that fight, you damn well thought he should get in before the, before that fight. But how quickly, how quickly the tide turns when you see somebody you love so dearly get bent over and thrusted, especially by a guy who wears pink Crocs hey, everywhere he goes. Good for him, he beat a fucking peg legged fucking Spanish pirate. <laughs> Celebrate uh, all day, Puerto Rico. Look, here's the deal. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Um, in my opinion, you have the, um, you know, the career of Juan Manuel Marquez is, you know, his, his famous fights um, with Manny Pacquiao. I mean, dude, the guy had, you know, almost, almost 70 fights. All right. Yep. And, you know, had some, just some, some massive wins in his career. He's considered, some people will put him on the Mount Rushmore of Mexican boxers. Um, you know, he was a stylist. He was a counterpuncher. Um, I think he deserves to get in. Shane Mosley is a little bit, a little bit iffier for me. I think that when he was at his prime weight, he was one of the best of all time. Um, you know, at his weight, and I think that Mosley, you know, it's just that the the we all know that Marquez was probably juicing for that fourth Pacquiao fight, but with Mosley, like he was involved in the Balco scandal, right? So to me, I would like to act like you know or or i you know i i'd like to sit here and say that that means something that 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 he you know admitted to using steroids before the uh oscar de la hoya fight in 2003 like that that should be something like i sit here and stand on my pulpit and say that he doesn't deserve to be but but you said it when we were talking about this before um we even hit the record button that come on i mean maybe not everybody on every ballot over the last like 20 or 30 years but yeah has anybody ever seen pictures of Evander Holyfield's prime? Um, you know, it's just he was in the same schedule too. So yeah, exactly. So, but but you know, to the point, I, I think Antonio Tarver is a joke for being on this list. I don't think that he's Hall of Fame quality at all, um, inside or outside of the ring. I think the guy's a total putz, um, and he's completely delusional not only about his career but the fact that he was a blatant steroid abuser. I mean, let's go ahead and put out, you know. Uh, Alexander Povetkin on the list while we're at it. But as far as the other guys go, Bernard Hopkins, Locke, Marquez, Mosley deserving. Um, Carl Frotch is deserving in my eyes because in, in the history of his division, um, nobody fought a tougher schedule in the history of the uh, super middleweight division. Nobody went on a run like Carl Frotch did. Um, a guy with not as much athleticism, uh, you know, from birth as a Shane Mosley or a Sergio Martinez, um, but a granite chin, um, had some memorable big fights, um, had some memorable comeback fights, and you know, uh, most notably his fight against Jermaine Taylor, um, where he was getting beat on the scorecards and then knocked him out in the last round with, what, like 30 seconds left in the fight? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and just if you wanted to, if you talk to anybody that knows anything about boxing, I, I get it. I will be the first person to admit that Carl Frotch is a total fucking douchebag. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it, but when it comes to, it, it's actually kind of hard to believe that a guy that is such a tool, um, in his personality and how ego maniacal this guy is and, and narcissistic it is, he is that he would actually have the kind of metal that he had in the ring and didn't duck anybody, um, went in, fought the best, 
didn't take breaks, came back after loss and fought the best available opponent, statement makers, um, and he put together the resume. You know, love him or hate him, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Does he deserve to be a first ballot Hall of Famer? No, not if you're going to go by the three. The three we named before him deserve to get in before he does. But I, I and 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 I'm all joking aside, Vin. I think Sergio Martinez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I, look, I think I think eventually both of them could get in for sure. I I, I think they're going to be on the ballot for a handful of years before they do, though. I think Martinez's resume is far lighter than Carl Frotch. You want to go off accomplishments, Frotch deserves to be in, whether you like him or not. Yeah, absolutely. Sergio Martinez, that's why I, that's why I was saying I don't think Sergio – I mean, he may get in, but I don't think he will get in. I, I, I honestly think that he's going to be one of those guys that winds up like later on in like, like 10 years, 15 years down the road, people are going to be – he's going to be one of those guys that people are, are going to be championing to, come on, we got to put this guy in. Vote for him, vote for him, vote for him. And he just he'll just always come up short. It'd be like, uh, was it? Isn't Joe Jacoby not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a shame. I and mean, that's a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, and he can't get in. So I just I feel like he'll end up being one of those type guys. I think Frotch will be there for a while too. I think Frotch will probably eventually get in. Look, I, Carl, I've seen Carl Frotch fight as many times as I've seen anybody fight. Some of the early fights that I went to in my life in, in Atlantic City. Uh, a, a, hand, a few of the first handful I went to involved Carl Frotch. And I, you know, I'll never forget being out on the balcony at uh, Boardwalk Hall, which is where you'd go to, to, to catch a Hita in between fights or whenever. And <clears throat> we're, looking, we're, we're looking down the boardwalk, and here comes old Rachel Cordington. And, and I, oh. dude, my life changed, Ken. I was like, eh, you know, I couldn't stand Carl Frotch as a fighter back then. I'm like, I, I would look at him and I'd go, how can you not beat this fucking guy? He's not any good. <laughs> <laughs> but then I saw his girl and I said, God damn, you know what, Carl? I'm, I'm kind of with you now, buddy. I, I'm kind of on your side if you're pulling that kind of tail. Dude, yeah, that is uh, quite a pull. But, you, you know, she definitely made him get that nose job. There's no doubt about it. She's like, when your career's over, like, I appreciate you having this this gnarly looking mug, right, because of the money that you make for us. But as soon as your career's over, you're getting a nose job. I figure he was utilizing that thing a little bit in the bed. <laughs> that's, that's what got him her. That's what got her in the first place. <laughs> the old hook. The old hook nose maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> you, you invert uh, that thing and you get up in there. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, dude, Frotch had some memorable fights. Um, you know, when he pieced out George Groves at, uh, at Wembley stadium, um, in front of 80,000, as, uh, we all know, yeah. um, that was a memorable, just one punch flat line. I mean, dude, his knockout of Lucian Boutte coming off the loss against, uh, Andre Ward, um, his wars with Mikkel Kessler, and my personal favorite Carl Frotch fight is the fight against Jean Pascal in 2008, where uh, Carl Fr- Frotch described not remembering anything that happened in that fight between the second and the ninth round, like completely blacked out during the fight. And to this day, still the best face to face or whatever you want to call it uh, in boxing history when him and George Groves go at it. I mean, just some of the most entertaining back and forth. Actually, I don't think anybody, the promotion of that fight, anybody has come close in a long time to what those guys were able to do. I mean, that was just, it was must-see TV, man. It really was. 
Yeah, from 2013 to 2014, that six month stretch that from their from their first fight to their second fight, that that was easily at least over the last ten years in boxing the best promotion. Um, no doubt about it. That was comedy at its finest. Okay, well, this is enough Carl Frotchkin. When, when Keith Thurman's time comes, we better give him seven minutes at the end. <laughs> Keith Thurman. If Keith Thurman makes a Hall, a hall of Fame ballot, they may as well go ahead and just turn the lights off in Canastota. <laughs> Come on, man. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it, man. We uh, squeezed out an hour and a half. We went almost uh, almost an hour on the on the whole Spence thing, man. That's it. Had to be talked about. We had to touch everything that we touched. If it went a little long, so what? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, deal with it. Yeah, and and that was you know a little longer than normal for me to rub one out while talking about Carl Frotch, but it happened, and I'm <laughs> and I'm happy with it. You're getting old, man. It takes a few more strokes <laughs> these days. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we appreciate all of you tuning in to the 241st episode of the Boxing Rant Podcast. Um, we'll be back next week with the post-fight from Triple G versus Daryevchenko, um, and we will preview the uh, heavyweight debut of Oleksandr Usyk um, as his fight is coming up. Um, the boxing schedule just keeps intensifying uh, down the road, and we will be here with all of it uh, with new episodes of the Daily Rant, new episodes of The Flash Knockdown, more videos for you on uh, the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. Check out the latest edition of The Daily Rant on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel um, as I go in on, uh, you know, the rise of the fanager um, in boxing today and the obsession with network allegiances and pay-per-view sales. Be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. So until next time, we appreciate all of you tuning in to the Boxing Rant Podcast. Muchas gracias, everybody.